welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I said in a prior episode, we're primarily focusing on LGBTQ topics in 2024, but we have a few grandfathered podcasts, so to speak, of people that I'd promised to be on the podcast. They have meaningful work. And um, Camille McConnell is one of those. She has written a book talking about um, the sudden death of her son, Wesley. I believe he died in a choking accident, and she was on the podcast in episode 292. It's a terrific podcast and has since written a book, and the name of the book is Let the Angels Carry You, Coping with Connection When Loved Ones Pass On. And I just kept getting this impression, even though I told Camille, no, I'm not going to do the podcast, to um, do the podcast. And so, because um, I think her work she's a life coach, is really helpful, bravely talking about this sort of unspeakable tragedy that happened in their home and now talking and writing about it. I just think there's a need in our community um, for better understanding to, for us to support others, as well as families like Camille, who are coping with just sort of unimaginable tragedy, um, what, we, what they can do to sort of find, I don't know what the right words are, peace. and. Um, we will link to this book in the show notes. Um, Camille self-published this book. We'll also link to episode 292 if you want to hear her story. That was back in 2020, so that's four years ago. And um, Camille and her husband and kids live in Orange County, California. They also have a home in Farmington, so they have kind of two residences and we're recording this in January, and it's a lot warmer in Orange County, California <laughs> than it is in Farmington, Utah. So, Camille McConnell, I'll just kind of turn it over to you to get started. Yeah, and it's I'm really excited to be back. I like I said, we weren't I wasn't really expecting it. Um, and then Richard said he just have, kept having this prompting, and uh, he messaged me on Facebook. He said he'd had like 10 plus impressions, True. and I responded and I said, I guess Wesley's been working really hard on you. That's my <laughs> son who passed away. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was exciting because I feel like the message that I really want to share is the message that I wish somebody could have shared with me five and a half years ago when our son passed away unexpectedly. Um, we talked about this a lot on the last episode. We talked about platitudes where people would say things to me like um, very well-meaning things like, aren't you so grateful for the plan of salvation? Because that means you get to be with your son again. And I, while feeling grateful for the plan of salvation at the same time, I wanted to tell them, that that wasn't going to be enough to console me, that the loss was so great that knowing that I would see him in like, let's say 50 years when I pass away, um, that our, my, our bond was so strong that that was still like really painful. And um, I started to say things to people like, yeah, that's really great, but I want to figure out how I can stay connected to him now because I don't want to wait 50 years for us to be reunited. I want to find out how, I can still be aware of when he is around, when his spirit is close by, and I want to be able to feel close to him, even though he's, you know, in a different form. He's not physically here, but he's, he can visit us spiritually. So it's just something that I wish people would have said, you know, this is absolutely part of our gospel. Um, I have tons of references that I got ready for today, but 
it's it's definitely something that's there. It's a spiritual gift and spiritual gifts are something we're told to seek after that. It's not like, okay, you don't have the spiritual gift and you're never going to have it. The scriptures say, seek after them, ask. So it's something that I think is important that there's there's life after death and um, there's still connections. I think the biggest reference I can come up with right now is uh, Elder Richard G. Scott, um, the apostle who was, um, while I was you know, a teenager and a young adult, he was an apostle and he told, he spoke to a group of LDS employees, church employees, um, about the connection that he and his wife, Janine had after she passed away. And it wasn't just monumental experiences, for example, like the sealing of a grandchild or something, but he said that she would come to him for little things. Like if he was going to overindulge and maybe eat too much dessert, she would say, now, Rich, you don't need that extra piece of cake or whatever. And she was just part of his life because he was so connected to the spirit world through the spirit that he could have this connection with her. Um, And I didn't always have the spiritual gift. It's not like I've just grown up with it, but it's something I've been able to develop as other people have passed away before my son. I realized there is an opportunity to feel close to them and you can sense when they're around. And I, this has been so integral to my healing with my son because I don't know how I could have done it if I just had let go and said, okay, well, I guess I'll see him in 40, 50 years. And that's it. Um, I love what you're sharing. Just keep sharing. Um, okay. Well, so one of the big themes that we're hearing right now, especially from President Nelson, is to seek and expect miracles in your life. That's from his talk, The Power of Spiritual Momentum. I feel like because we're in the last days, there's uh, because there's extra darkness in the world and Satan is being unleashed more, that because of that, there's this compensatory availability of blessings. Like we are entitled to miracles if we seek and expect them. And I don't know if it's because I've had someone really close to me pass away unexpectedly that I'm noticing that trend happening in other people's lives. Um, I recently went to a funeral for a family friend whose husband unexpectedly passed away at like age 38 from a heart attack. He was in great physical health, very unexpected. Um, I just keep hearing stories, you know, of someone's coworker passing away in his sleep in his fifties when he was healthy. Or um, I had a neighbor recently whose family friend coworker passed away in a, another fluke accident. Uh, these things are happening in my, from what I'm seeing more and more. Uh, and I think that this message that we can have these miracles is important because people are kind of at a loss from what I'm seeing that it feels like in these last days, there's just a lot of chaos and um, turbulence. And to be able to really feel the reality that we can have these miracles and we can have these experiences, I think that's important for people to have all the tools that, you know, Heavenly Father wants us to have and to use them. Um, Other quotes I can pull out. So, So President Nelson said in his talk, overcome the world and find rest from 2022. So many wonderful things are ahead. In coming days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. Between now and the time he returns with power and great glory, he will bestow countless privileges, blessings, and miracles upon the faithful. So I have a chapter in my book called Privileges where I I pull a quote from President Brigham Young where he says that we live, uh, the saints often live far below their privileges. 
And for some reason that stuck out to me. I was thinking about that after my son died because I was thinking if I can have some type of relationship with him through the veil, if that's a privilege that I could like claim, then I want to figure out how to do that because I don't want to live far beneath my privileges if I don't have to. Like what's available to me? What is God offering me? What do I need to ask for so that I can have the availability of these gifts? Because when you hit rock bottom and your heart is broken, I think that's an opportunity for the spirit to come in and teach you things that you didn't know uh, were possible. Like I said, I didn't grow up with the spiritual gift. I remember going to sacrament meeting one time. I think we were visiting my husband's family's ward in San Diego and somebody came up and gave her testimony about having some experience with somebody from the other side of the veil, a loved one. And I thought it was a little weird, honestly. I was like, huh, she's being really open right now about this experience. And I couldn't relate to it in the least. And I was just like, that was a really personal experience. But she was felt prompted to share it. And so I was just like, okay, well, I don't know. I can't relate to this, but I'm glad that it was important for her. But it didn't really, it didn't really hit me in that place where it, it meant something at the time. And now that I've had my grandma passed away, um, and I remember specifically being at her her funeral, but before the funeral, we had like a family meeting where we would talk about memories and just kind of bonding together. And my cousins got up and talked about all these all these specific memories. They lived like 10 minutes away from her growing up and just all these fun things they would do together. And I grew up a couple states away and I saw her maybe once a year. And so I was sitting there thinking, gosh, I really feel like I missed out on my grandma because everyone else has all these memories and I only have a few. And I'm sitting there and I felt her telling me, now I can be with you anytime. And I was thinking, that is so strange. I've never had anyone talk to me like that. Who's I didn't know people on the other side could talk to me. And it felt just like the spirit was talking to me. It was like that still small voice that you can sense. Um, it's subtle. But it was there because I was I was feeling the spirit anyway. We we're sitting there and you know having this spiritual meeting as a family. So I think sometimes when you're at rock bottom, you don't question things like maybe you would if you were not at rock bottom. Um, I had another experience later with my grandma. I was pregnant with my second child, and we the recession was happening, and my husband was trying to find a lot a job. He had just graduated from law school, and he was having zero luck we were working as apartment managers. So we were living in an apartment building with 40 units where people would come to us with all their problems. And it was a good gig because it helped us pay for rent, but it was just really stressful. Plus I was working, um, teaching Spanish. I was a private Spanish tutor. So I was working a lot and the economy wasn't great. And I was feeling really stressed. And I remember one night I was praying and I was really low. I was crying. I was like very emotional and feeling very panicky. And she came to me uh, as I was praying. And I was thinking, that's weird. I was just talking to Heavenly Father and here my grandma comes in and the spirit said, you can talk to her. And I was like, that's a thing? I can talk to my grandma? So I started talking to her and, and she just came and gave me all of this. It was like, she gave me a big hug and so much comfort and love. And that was another rock bottom experience where I realized that there's ministering angels that we can actually perceive because uh, elder holland he gave a talk on the ministry of angels he 
says, usually such things are not seen. Sometimes they are, but seen or unseen, they're always near. So I had my, a really um, powerful experience with her. And then I had a friend whose mom passed away, who was like a second mom to me. And I had experiences with her, uh, which prepared me so that when Wesley passed, when people would say to me, well, aren't you so glad that you get to see him again? I would say, yes, but I want more than just that. There's, if there's more available to me, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find it. I love your just terrific insights, Camille, and how to open up or the veil a little bit to have people on the other side be part of our lives. And um, I think that's a spiritual gift, but it might be a learned um, process where you're open to receiving those insights. And so you learn how to do it and be receptive to do it. And so I love these experiences you're sharing. I've got some questions for you, or you could continue to just share. I know you've got an outline here of some stuff we haven't gotten to. What would you rather do? Let me, um, let me share one more story about Good. kind of like how I learned to open myself up to the spiritual gift. And then I want to hear your questions. So um, I had a dream after my friend's mom died and we were at the, the cultural hall of the church building we had grown up going to. It's this historic building in Newport Beach with this beautiful uh, stained glass or oh. no, uh, this beautiful tile mosaic wall outside. It's a big mural. It's beautiful. I've been and there. I know exactly Dover Lane. <laughs> it's so pretty. It's beautiful. Anyway, so we're in the... And so it's kind of fun because she passed away after the new building had been built. It's right by the temple in Newport Beach. But it was kind of fun that the dream brought us back to that building that we'd been to going to for years. So we're standing. There's a bunch of people standing in this gymnasium. Um, my friend's mom, Lisa, has already passed on. And the purpose of us and the dream of being there was because we were hoping Lisa was going to come visit us. And we were all standing around gathering, just kind of chatting in small circles. And some people that were there were so, they were in such grief that they weren't receptive to the possibility that she could come visit. And they were just looking at the ground, head hanging low, um, really feeling like just really sad. And some people were that were there were completely comfortable with the thought that she was going to come visit and they just kind of expected it. And there was this one man in the middle of the room who had his head up and he was looking like he was expecting her to show up any minute. And he even had his hand in the air kind of pointing like, Hey, come talk to me. I'm right here. He was really excited, waving his hand in the air and just waiting for her to come. And she showed up in the corner of the, of the gym. And the first person she walked up to was the man in the middle who was waving for her to come. And she hadn't even shown up yet, but he was just so excited and so full of faith. And she walked, came up to him and they were chatting and enjoying being together. And then she came and walked to all the other people that had their heads up and were looking around, expecting, believing she would come. And the people that were so, um, they were, they were just not ready. They weren't, they didn't know it was available to them. They were just so in their own experience, which Honestly, when you're going through the grief process, you're going to have those moments. It's not like every moment is just, okay, I'm ready. Come visit me. You're going to have really hard times. So this dream wasn't trying to diminish that. But the point is that when you are ready and you have that faith that the possibility is there. Oh, I love So that was that really, story. you know, you have a spiritual dream and you wake up and you think, okay, what's the symbolism? What's the message? And uh, I woke up and I was piecing it together and I thought, okay. If we 
have this faith and this expectation, then we're going to have the experiences. We're going to have the miracles. We're going to have, we're going to be aware. And so like what I've, what I've done with my son is when I want to have those experiences, as I pray and I say, heavenly father, please help me to, to know today when Wesley's around so I can sense him. And maybe it's just a quick thing. Like we're saying family prayer and it's just a thought that comes into my head. Wesley's here. It's not always this overpowering spiritual experience. Sometimes it's really subtle, just like the spirit operates. And I think that's how you teach people how to have these experiences is you teach them how the spirit speaks to them personally, which is what we do in church is I know I've been a youth, you know, teacher and leader a lot and talk to the kids. How does the spirit speak to you? How can you know when it's there? How can you recognize it? So sometimes it feels more like a thought, um, like, oh, he's here. And then you ask the spirit, is he here? And then you feel it maybe more, or sometimes it's a feeling. It just depends. Um, but it's, it's just like learning how the Holy Ghost speaks to you. It's subtle and there's, there's a gift to it, but then there's also a skill and it's something that we can work on. I love that. Um, tell, if you've got the book in front of you, tell our listeners the chapter titles. Um, yeah. So there's 30. Um, the song or the book is kind of different because after he passed, I started feeling inspired to write songs, which is something I've done in the past, but never really finished them. I'm, I'm a musical person. I sing and I songwrite, but like three days after he died, there was this song that just, the lyrics started coming with melody about Wesley. And, um, that's one of the chapters. So a lot of the chapters are about songs I've written. So I wrote this song about Wesley, not meaning to, and, uh, I ended up singing it at his funeral. Actually, wow. it it was a whirlwind. Yeah. I was just, I was remember I was walking downstairs. I'd woken up and I was still processing. It was so heavy when you're in that thick grief, it feels like the twilight zone and nothing seems real. And I just remember sitting on the steps. I was walking downstairs to make breakfast for my kids. And I was so physically tired that I didn't make it all the way down the stairs. I sat down and I just was sighing and I thought, oh, sweet boy. And then this melody started coming into my head to those words. Um, it was, oh, sweet boy. And all of a sudden, like more words started coming and more melody. So I started writing it down because I thought this is, feels like a spiritual download, like a really strong impression, very specific. So I wrote it all down and kind of played with it throughout the day and would think about the tune and what I would do with it. And by like evening, the song was written. And um, I think to Heavenly Father that this is really amazing, but the spirit was pushing me and said, I, I felt like there was an expectation attached to it. <laughs> and I was, I remember like kind of arguing with the Holy Ghost saying, you don't want me to sing this at his funeral. That's not why you gave me this song, right? And the spirit was like, no, I want you to sing it at his funeral. And I was, that's a very big ask. I just lost my son in a choking accident. It was super traumatic you gave me this song in a beautiful way and you want me to figure out how to get it ready to sing on Saturday, you know? So anyway, seven of the chapters are songs um, that I have recorded. They're on iTunes and Spotify, but they all kind of came in that same miraculous way where it just sort of came as a download. And it made me wonder, so if these songs are being given to me, then who's writing them with me on the other side? Somebody's writing them with me and sort of helping. It's like I have a co-writer on the other side. Okay. So the chapter titles are Wesley's song, privileges, like we were talking about um, Brigham Young and his quote, strength, let the angels carry you. That's the book title. That's the song I wrote. So three days after Wesley passed, my mother-in-law died. 
Um, and we went to her funeral the weekend after Wesley's funeral. And they live in San Diego, lived in San Diego at the time. So I'm in the San Diego temple. We were doing ceilings that weekend. And this song starts coming to me. And I'm thinking, I'm in the temple. I don't have my phone with me. I don't have a pen and a pad of paper to write this down. So I just kept like replaying it over and over in my mind. So I wouldn't forget it because I'm sure like other creative people can relate, but sometimes you have these ideas and they just come really quickly and they can go away really quickly too. So I was just really trying to retain it. Um, and then I have a chapter on mourning, another chapter on a song I wrote called how long firsts holes and hope dreams, invitations, noise, thoughts right here. And now that's another song, joy, cry. So good. That's another song vision. Angels speak death anniversaries. Why we cry premonitions. The next room triggers strong within the wind. That's another song miracles, a mother there. That chapter talks about a really special experience I had where I felt heavenly mother with me for the first time. When your heart is broken five years later, signs and grief uprising. So this is a serious book. Yeah. Mixed in. (laughs) Well, I mean, the chapter, so originally I wrote a blog and I talked about it in that last episode we recorded. And so uh, half the book is the blog that I've since taken down um, and just turned into the book. And then the other half is just new content that I've written. I love you take your talents of writing and singing and composing and just those chapter titles make me want to read the book. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it just like, I, I'm one of those people that I need to have a creative outlet or I feel like I'm going to explode. And I've been like this, I have to write or I have to sing or I have to, it just helps me process. And I feel like we talked about this in the last episode, but one of the things that Heavenly Father wants me to do on this earth is to be open and vulnerable vulnerable about the difficult things that I go through so that I can help other people that are going through them later. Once I'm in a good place, you know, um, to be able to give back to people going through the same thing. Um, talk about who, you, I think you've inferred this, but talk about who you hope reads the book. Really, specifically, anyone who's lost someone really close to them. Um, someone who wishes they could keep that connection with that person alive. Somebody who they just don't want to let go of. Um, I mean, you have to let go of, in some ways, but somebody they just want to, to feel that, that bond with still. Uh, especially parents who've lost a child, but not exclusive to that. Anyone who just feels that tug, like if there is more, if there can be more, I want there to be more because I don't want to completely let go. I love that. Um, Some people might say you need to let go and kind of move on. Do you ever hear that? And why is that not helpful? Well, you know, gosh, that feels so, if someone were to say that to me, especially right after he passed, that would feel like a slap in the face. Yeah. to an extent, you have to let go of certain things like the trauma of the event. It would not be helpful if I were to replay the trauma of the event throughout my mind. That's to, you know, I've done some trauma therapy. I've done EMDR. And so in that setting with the therapist, you replay the trauma in order to help yourself release it in a more constructive way. Um, but to just hold on to the to the trauma of his death would be unwise. It would be really damaging. 
So I have to let go of the pain to an extent. And there's actually a chapter on that, um, death anniversaries. It's a really painful thing. Um, see if I can pull it up, but it's a really painful thing because you have to let go in order to function to an extent. You can't completely just live in the past and relive all of the the pain because some people do that. And I did that, you know, you kind of do it for the first year. My husband and I would talk about it, but you feel like you're letting go of your child if you let go of the pain because the pain is what holds you to the memory of them still being alive. Um, and you feel like in a way that you're just giving up or that you're abandoning or something. Um, let me pull it up, see if I can find it. It's one of the most important parts of the book, I think, that parents or anyone who feels guilty. Um, okay, here we go. <clears throat> the evening of the day he died, I was frantically afraid to fall asleep. I stayed up as late as I could, even though I was exhausted and had a headache from crying. I did not want his life to be in the past tense. I was desperately clinging to the present. I didn't want that day to end because I knew everything would change. Logically, I've realized it's impossible to keep the wound open and raw and to hold onto every detail of him every second of the day. That's uniquely the experience that you face right after the death. Everything is raw, exposed, vivid, and real. To heal, you must let go somewhat. But the loyal and emotional part of my brain wants to fight against letting go. My brain goes to this place. I will never let go of him. He means too much to me. How could I? It feels like betrayal, even though rationally I've come to know it's not. Functional living is not betrayal. It poses the question, is holding onto my pain to remember, more vi- to remember more vividly really the best way to honor my child or myself? Is there another way to connect to my child? Because really what happens after you lose somebody, especially if, as time goes on, you start to forget. And it's going to happen no matter what. You're going to forget what life was like with that child in your home, which is so painful because it's been five and a half years since he died and he was almost four. When he passed. So he's been gone longer than he was here. And I can't remember like every day isn't filled with memories of Wesley or what it was like having him here and how the home felt. Those are feelings that creep back when we have a death anniversary or a birthday or something to put the focus on him. But life has moved on in a way that the home is different. We live in a different home right now. Um, we're renting, but, and you know, we're going to go back to our other home eventually, but it's still, life is different. And, um, holding on to the pain does keep his memory more alive, but I don't want to just remember the pain. His life was full of these beautiful moments. So, um, it's just really hard because you feel like if I let go of this pain, I'm letting go of my child. And it feels like a betrayal. Well, that's a terrific chapter. But you can still have this connection. Um, I remember in the book, I don't remember what chapter it's in, but it was the first Christmas after he died. It's super painful having holidays that are family centered after the loss of a loved one. And so we're at the, it's the Christmas party for the ward at church. Um, my husband's not there because one of the kids are two of the kids are sick. So I just went there with my daughter. There's just two of us there. It was depressing because our whole family's not there. And Wesley's passed on, you know, he's gone. And I'm sitting there picking at my food, feeling sorry for myself, just feeling I just didn't want to cry in front of everybody. I was wondering why I even went. And um, as I'm sitting there picking at my food, I felt Wesley's spirit come. And he said to me, 
he said, mom, can you at least be happy for me? Because I'm so happy. And I thought, he's like, it's so sweet. You know, he, sometimes when he comes, he feels like he's more, uh, he's older, like kind of a missionary age, 18, 19. But this time he came, he felt like his younger self. And I, I'm thinking, I'm communicating to him in my mind. And I'm thinking, yes, I can be happy for you, but I can be happy for you. And I can also be sad for me because I'm missing you so much. And he was like, okay, yeah, I get that. But um, yeah, it's just connection is different. You know, it's going to look different. And it's, you know, it's moments. You just have to celebrate and write them down when you have experiences like, oh, I felt him today. Write them down because you're going to have lots of gaps and times where you don't feel that connection is strong. It ebbs and flows. And so it's important to remember them and to cherish them because the more you can remember them and kind of study what, what these experiences are, the more likely you are to be able to recognize them when they come. I love your ability to write down and process this and I'm glad you've written a book. Talk about these are really good insights, Camille. You're really good um, at putting vocabulary to your feelings in these stages you're going through that um, I don't know anything about at this point in our lives. We don't, we haven't lost any kiddos. Um, talk about, um, I was in church and it was a really good talk. And the speaker, I think he may have even Prince President Nelson's talk about miracles. And then he went through kind of the string of miracles that had happened in his family. And, you know, everybody's been protected. The times of crisis worked out the right way. and he has not experienced what you've experienced. And um, I almost thought to myself, well, if you're going to give that talk, you need to give the talk of, you need to add on, what if miracles don't happen? And what if things like your kiddo chokes, um, do those chokes trigger you? um, Because you didn't get your miracle? Or what would you say to, uh, to yourself and others that have done the right things, but you didn't get your miracle? Yeah, sometimes it's triggering. Um, you go through the grief cycle and we talk about this a lot in the last episode and anger is part of that grief cycle. And the grief cycle doesn't complete. You don't go through it and say, okay, I checked that anger box. I'm not feeling anger right now. So I guess I'm through anger and I'm moving on to, you know, acceptance. You, you go through it, um, all the stages different times and they still creep back. So yeah, definitely a talk like that could be triggering. And I still have moments like flash moments where I'm feeling anger and I have to go, th- I have to work through it. And I let myself feel those feelings because you don't want to deny yourself um, the processing experience, right? You don't want to get stuck in those feelings, but you don't want to block them out because then you're not really, you're not processing and that's not healthy. And you're going to, you're going to keep having them come at you unless you can learn how to get through them. But definitely, definitely that's triggering. It can be. But on the other hand, you don't want anybody else to go through this experience. It's so, devastating that if somebody else gets their miracle, then you can rejoice with them. You know, it's, there's duality. It's, it's not all or nothing. I can rejoice with them and I can still be sad for me. Wow. And that's okay. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird because we had premonitions before Wesley passed that he was going to, and, you know, people ask me how old would he be? And I have to think, I'm like, how old would he be? Um, he would be nine. I don't relate to that in the least. Like what would Wesley be like when he's nine? I, I can guess and I can kind of sense like how he would be, 
but he was never meant to be nine. Like I, I can't really fight against reality. Um, we had so many promptings. He was supposed to go, um, after before and after that. Um, no, if somebody else's son or daughter has an accident and they survive and they're supposed to be here, then that's God's plan. You can't, you can't argue against God's plan because he takes people, you know, um, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has a plan for everybody. And just because I love my son, you know, extremely like I love him so much. Doesn't mean that he's going to keep him here for me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love me because he took my son to the other side. Um, as a parent, it's hard because we're biologically wired to want to protect our children and keep them here. But if part of Wesley's life purpose was to come here for a short time and leave, that's between him and his God. I can't really get in the way of, I mean, who am I to say, no, you can't have your life mission the way it's supposed to go for you. Like he is a part of me, but he's also an independent person with an independent mission. So, you know, I can say that five and a half years later, easier than I can say it, you know, the month after he passed away, where I'm feeling like my whole world is on its head and, you know, everything feels upside down. Um, The duality you spoke of is really remarkable. Um, And just where you are, you can hold both of those thoughts. And, you know, that was really a thoughtful segment. Um, Gives me an idea of where you are. It's a remarkable spot. Um, but the fact you've written a book and are talking about it helps others have hope that they can find peace and still grieve and miss and and recognize other people are going to have different experiences. I love that you wanted them to have their miracle. Yeah. There's a lot of I grace mean, in that, Camille. In yeah. You. One of the things, listeners, is, you know, I have i don't know if this resonates with you, Camille, but as we've done these podcasts over the last five years-ish of people just dealing with grief, sometimes I think our culture celebrates people that can grieve and kind of move on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like their understanding the plan of salvation and commitment to the gospel is so strong that it's sort of an outward manifestation of grief as a way to quantify their commitment to the gospel. And so if they're really faithful and really understand the plan of salvation, they just kind of move on and that helps the rest of us kind of feel comfortable because, well, Camille's moved on. I, I don't want to trigger you. And so we don't need to be there for Camille anymore because she seems to be at peace. Wesley's gone. And we just, she's so remarkable because she is such a testimony of the plan of salvation. She's not grieving anymore. And she's mm-hmm. just happy all the time. I, I, so <laughs> that's a kind of an awkward way to frame that. But I worry about this culture that doesn't, or the missionary that stays home because he or she is mm-hmm. so committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were given the option to come home for a funeral and they chose not to. Right. And they're celebrated like a hero yeah. because they chose to be stoic. Yeah. I mean, obviously Stoic's I respect people's personal revelation, but I do feel like there's so much pressure. Um, the stoicism because it's, um, it's not real. It's not real. I, um, and I don't like that part of the culture. I read that chapter in your book, your last book. Um, and it was really hitting the spot for me. We were here in our ward in California and somebody came to visit and got, got up and talked about his daughter um, had a stillborn child and she handled it with so much grace. And because her faith was so solid in the plan of salvation 
And I was thinking, she's showing you that side of herself. But I promise you, there is another side of her that is crying on the bathroom floor, sobbing in the shower, crying out of her mind. I promise you that she is having that experience because Jesus wept for Lazarus. He wasn't stoic. He didn't sit there and dried and say, I know what's going to happen next. He wept. That is part of the human experience. It's okay to weep. It's okay to weep for ourselves. It's okay to weep with others. That's, that's empathy. So I think that that stoic culture is really just saying, don't show me those sides of yourself. I don't want to see the ugly crying. I don't want to know about it. Just show me the heroic side of you. Um, and I really hope that people who you know read my book, I mean, my book is very raw, so they're not going to think that I'm stoic, but <laughs> people that have seen me get up and bear my testimony um, about experiences and my testimony, I hope everyone understands that I still ugly cry about this. It's not like I've moved on to this transcendent sphere of everything's good. Um, I, I'm still living the human experience, you know? Um, I can have these amazing spiritual experiences um, I can experience my son where, when he's a ministering angel and I can feel him and I've, um, I've actually seen him actually since he's wow. passed, I can have these amazing miracles. That does not mean that I'm not, in, you know, going to have moments where I just break down in tears. Uh, of course those moments are fewer and farther in between since he passed. They still happen though. My, my heart is still broken. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not a healthy culture because it's basically saying you suffer in silence, suffer in peace, but don't bring it to the table because we have this glorious gospel of joy and that's all it is. There's, we're, we're living the human experience and the gospel plays into every part of that. The good, the bad, the ugly. We can't rise above it and uh, we, we have to go through it. That's why we're here. You know, we're in the bushes. We're in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus had to go to the wilderness. Like we're not doing anything that he didn't do. He showed us how to do it, but he had to go through it too. Um, you, you have a gift of vocabulary, Camille, of putting words, um, to emotion and experiences and how we can improve. It's one of your gifts. You have the gift of song. You haven't sung yet, sung yet a little bit. You did, but <laughs> I'm so glad you've written this book and are giving words to your experience and, um, tell me about, um, we talked about, well, you know, let me just make a comment listeners. I haven't, I don't have much experience in this space, but when I listen to my guests, uh, you know, recently I, I gave the opening prayer at a funeral of a fellow in his seventies that died in our ward. It was probably a year or two ago, but by name, I felt impressed to welcome him to his funeral. Wow. And I just thought, you know, he just back to your point, he's going to be there <laughs> and it's yeah. his funeral. And I just felt impressed to in, welcome him um, and yeah. sort of talk directly to him. Not as if he weren't there. We were talking about him and use present tense terms. Mm -hmm. um, I had the chance to dedicate a grave of a young man who died in a tragic accident in his twenties. And I kind of just did the same thing as part of, you know, my priest's responsibility dedicated the grave, but I spoke directly to him about how much he's missed and and 
you know, I, I just thought it went by the spirit, but it's people like Camille that have kind of opened my mind that, you know, these people are with us. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's healing to them to hear us continually to talk about them. And I have to think Wesley knows, you know this, that you have written this book and you continue to talk about him. And, you know, when that leads to a question. What do you like it when people ask you about Wesley? If you've moved into a new ward and they become aware, is that triggering for you to kind of have to process that? Or and it's I would maybe rather a have people from, ask me about him than have people pretend like he never existed. So no, it's not triggering because he he lived and he still lives just on the other side of the veil, and um, he's part of my family. You know, if I don't know somebody very well and I'm not going to get to know them, like it's just kind of a casual acquaintance. And they ask me how many kids I have. I'll say four. But if there's somebody I feel like I'm going to get to know better, I'll just be open about it and say five. Um, But say, you know, one of them is not with us anymore. He passed away. So, no, I think it's really healing to be able to talk about him because he exists. He's real. And I don't want him to just be real for me. I want him to be real for other people. And I, it's so sweet, but people will tell me, um, I had a friend recently read my book and text me and say, you know, we still think about Wesley a lot at our house because he's wow. the same age as our son. And we think about, he just comes up in, into our minds. And that's the thing is sometimes when we're having these visits from spirits on the other side, when they just randomly show up in your mind, that means they're visiting. It doesn't have to be this overwhelming crying spiritual experience or, oh, I really felt them when we had this specific family event, like a baptism or a ceiling surely they're going to show up for those events, but sometimes you're folding laundry and, you know, I'm not thinking about Wesley and all of a sudden he pops into my head. That's his way of saying, Hey, what's up? Hi. You know, it's subtle things like that. And, um, I have a friend whose sister passed away in the past year and she, she sent me a Marco Polo message, um, on that video chat app. And she, she said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about my sister. I've been missing her a lot. She really loved um, this ice cream cone treat you can get uh, from the store. And she said, somebody just brought me some of those treats. She said, I just had the feeling I was supposed to bring you these. And my friend was like, do you think that could have been my sister? Um, And I was like, of course. You know, she put the thought into your friend's brain. Your friend brought them to you. That was absolutely your sister. Like, it's not audacious for you to think, gosh, my sister who and I have this incredible bond. Could she possibly be thinking about me? Of course she's thinking about you. (laughs) Um, After Wesley passed away, I started reading a lot of near-death experience books. There's a lot of books you can find in the LDS world. I also read this book. It's a collaboration of maybe 60 stories written by a Christian man. It's called Imagine Heaven. And the cool thing about it is you have these people from different faith backgrounds. Not everybody who shared their story was Christian, but there are so many common threads in this book. And it really strengthens your faith on Jesus Christ and the gospel of love and the the gospel of families. And after reading it, I learned a lot about what spirits capabilities are on the other side. So when we direct thoughts to them, they are aware because the way people communicate on the other side is telepathically. They can communicate with their mouths, but they don't have to. They can just think things and it's um, a pure form of communication and they can receive messages from each other that way. So when we direct thoughts towards our loved ones or we speak out loud to them, you know, when I'm driving, sometimes I'll just talk to Wesley. Cool. That's one of the big ways is to stay connected is just talk to them, think about them, keep them in the present. But um, 
yeah, it's okay to be audacious. Let's be audacious. And this love that we share with each other, this bond that we have is stronger than death. It's stronger than what our physical senses can pick up on. Um, there's, there's just so much more. I think sometimes we think we've got this all figured out, you know, we're in the 21st century and we have, you know, amazing self-driving cars, but we really don't understand all the mysteries of God. And there's so much, there's so much. And so let's, if it's audacious to think that our loved ones on the other side are thinking of us and being with us, then let's be audacious because they are. (laughs) It's, It's not entitlement. It's like, we need to live instead of living beneath the privileges that we're given, let's maybe live within them. Let's try to get closer to them. Um, maybe we need to be a little bit more entitled to the gifts that God wants to give us. Maybe we need to, instead of, Oh, is it, is, do you think like, would, would somebody who loves me so much want to visit me? Of course they would. We need to get comfortable with that. We need to let ourselves have these experiences just like the gospel or the church culture of, you know, being stoic and moving on. How about we can move on from the, the heavy, heavy, heavy grief but we can still hold on to the friendship and the closeness. How about that? Wow. I'm just so moved listening to you. Talk about, um, I've been thinking about people on the other side and um, talk about, you know, I'm. this is a leading question, but well, maybe I'll frame it up not leading. How does Wesley feel emotional feelings about you? and your husband and your family, and how is he feeling about this, even though he's with God and Christ and sees the whole plan? Yeah, I mean, um, after he passed, I felt him, like, we we found out he had passed at the emergency, we're at the emergency room when we got there after him. He was life-flighted to primary children's. Um, we walked into the room, and they uh, stopped doing chest compressions, and it pronounced him dead. And I felt his spirit just like hugging me. I felt him so close um, because he was so, I could feel his worry. He was worried about me. He was fine, but he was so worried about me and uh, my husband. And he just wanted to make sure we were okay. So he didn't, he was protective. That's the best word I can use is I felt him protectively being close, um, which after he passed, you know, slowly got less and less where I felt that he was always with me. Um, and then later I realized that he's also with me when he just randomly shows up in my thoughts. It doesn't have to be this really strong feeling for it to be valid. Uh, we had a picture that was drawn of him after he passed by a, a preschool teacher had it commissioned by her neighbor. And she's well known in the LDS world for drawing sketches of people who have passed on. She also draws them with Jesus. It's not the same as the cover of my book. That's uh, my cousin drew that. But there's another picture in the book with uh, the sketch of Wesley. And she has a gift for being able to capture the spirit of the person that she's drawing. And one day while she was she was drawing someone who had passed, uh, she had talked to the mom recently of the, the child that had passed. It was a teenager. And she put this on her website. That's where I found it. Because I've not, never actually met her. I'd like to. But on her website, she shares this experience where She's drawing this teenager and the mom and her had had a conversation. The mom was saying, you know, I gear up for the the, t- the holidays. It's going to be tough. I know it's going to be emotionally tough, but it's those times that my, my child randomly shows up in my thoughts. I'm not prepared for it. I just start crying. And while she's drawing this child, she has this 
inspiration. She feels the spirit of the child coming to her and says, tell my mom that when she randomly starts thinking about me, that means that I'm there and that she can talk to me because I can hear her. And that really connected the dots for me because I wasn't having these like feelings like, oh, Wesley's here, Wesley's here. I feel his love. I feel his concern. I feel his protection. It was kind of blank. And I was like, where did he go? Like, is he, is he serving one of those missions they talk about where in the church culture, like, oh, he's off serving a mission in the spirit world. I guess, you know, he's He's not going to be around anymore and, (laughs) you know, I'll see him when I'm dead, that kind of thing. But I realized when I'm folding laundry and he just randomly shows up, that's him saying hi. It, it might be more subtle, but that doesn't mean it's less real. That doesn't mean that his love is less real. So, um, yeah, like we can still have those experiences, but. I feel like I kind of lost track. Remind me of the, what no, the original question was and I can circle back. I think back. you did a good job. It's just a hypothesis I have because we're humans that Wesley misses you. He has human emotion oh, there. Yes, he has human emotion. Hill. He's still a human. Well, I mean, not human in his body, but he's still... So like in Alma, it talks about how when people pass, they're the same. And I think it's Alma 34, where the same spirit you leave this life with is the same spirit you're going to have on the other side. So if you wish to do evil in this life, you're not going to go there and all of a sudden be a saint. Right. And if you, so, um, the same spirit possesses, you know, um, is, is part of you. And so he's the same. He's well, obviously there's some important differences, but as far as his personality, he, he's still playful. Sometimes I feel him and he's more joking it's not all seriousness um, all the time, like solemn reverence or something. There's a chapter in my book called The Next Room. And there's a, a really amazing poem that was given at the funeral of a famous, um, was it the king? It was the king of England. Anyway, it talks about how people are still with us, even when they pass on to quote unquote, the next room. And yeah, he's he's the same, except for, he has enhanced capacity. He can travel at the speed of thought. Uh, yeah, he does have a mission on the other side. Uh, I've had people tell me, I've I've felt Wesley, I had a, a lady, I've actually never met her, but we're friends on Facebook and I met her through work and uh, we connected virtually. And she's had a lot of loss lately. Her husband passed away. She told me that she felt Wesley coming to comfort her. And I think part of his mission is going to people that are in deep grief because he just has this buoyant, bright, happy spirit. He's the same. He always had that happy spirit. So he has an enhanced capacity to help people feel better. And so he's still doing that. And then with my book and with songs, I know they're important to him. Um, My friend actually had a dream. This isn't in the book, but this friend of mine had a dream after Wesley died. She said someone who looked like a grandma came to her and she, she gave my friend a very specific message. And she said, tell Camille to keep writing songs because they heal us all. And then she repeated it a couple of times and then she left. So my friend was kind of timid. We didn't know each other that well at the time. And she said, I have a message from your grandma. This is, I know this is weird. And she came to me in a dream after Wesley died and she wants me to tell you this. So take it for what it is. You don't have to go with it. But this is what she told me to tell you. And cause she knew I had written that song for his funeral. Um, and so she said, yeah, this is her message. So yeah, I mean, what I'm doing matters. It matters to my grandma. It matters to Wesley because they're still, they still love me. They're still part of my life. I wish I could be privy to the little meetings they have on the other side where they're like, okay, 
let's help Camille with this or Camille's struggling with this. How can we all chip in? I wish I could be a part of that and see all the the workings of the other side. There's so many things I don't know, but I do know that um, he's still my buddy. He's still my friend. He's sometimes he feels like he's an older spirit a lot of the time now. So he's a, he's a buddy. He's a helper. He's a support. I love that. You know, I've heard uh, you mentioned he's like on a mission and sometimes we infer, you know, they're, and I think people are busy on the other side, but part of, I like where you kind of went with that is being busy on the other side might be partly to bless people on this side. Um, oh, a hundred percent. So Wesley, 100%. and that probably helps yeah. Wesley because I'm thinking he has human emotion. He knows this is hard. Um, you're his mom. <laughs> yeah. There's no one else that's going to be his earthly mom, but you, you are sealed together as an eternal family. And so I think he's really cognitively aware of how difficult this is at times to you and your husband, your family. And so I don't, the God I believe in would say, you're too busy for that. You're mm. over here and you can't, you know, the God I believe in would be the, would have the kind of experiences you're having with Wesley and others. Doesn't it really just all come down to the God we believe in? Like, who is God? What is that? Didn't Joseph Smith say we need to understand the attributes of God? Because what it com- when we really feel like we've gotten that figured out, that teaches us everything we need to know about how to live our lives, how to treat other people, how everything works, you know? And to me, um, he's a God of, of order. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of love. Like that is the first commandment. And so if he sends us, you know, people on earth to love, and then he has to take them away like early and he knows how painful that's going to be. Love is the, is the first law. Love is the first commandment. That love does not change. You can't, energy is not created nor destroyed. That's one of the laws of physics. So if my son and I have this amazing bond on this side of the veil, our bond on the other side of the veil is going to be at least the same strength, if not more, as our relationships continues to change and grow. So you can't, you can't stamp out that love. God doesn't want that to happen. He's a God. That's the song I wrote for Wesley's funeral. Um, that I honestly, I felt prompted to write. I can't even really take credit for it because it was just, the words were sort of just given to me, but the, the verse or the ending chorus says, uh, he sent his son for God is love. Cause it talks about, you know, my start with talking about my son and then I talk about, uh, heavenly father, son, Jesus, and God is love. He knows how, how hard this is. And sometimes like, you know, people get angry at God when they go through trials. And I understand that. And you can have those experiences, but still come back to, because he's given me all of these amazing abilities to connect with my son and to feel the Holy ghost. That's confirming these things because really angels speak by the power of the Holy ghost. The book of Mormon says angels speak by the power of the Holy ghost. That's the spirit of communication. It's not like it's against the rules to have these experiences. Um, of course it was very, uh, it made me feel more legitimate and more validated when I heard elder Scott's story about communicating with his wife through the veil. That's how they communicate. It's, it's, it's through the, through the spirit. So anyway, of course he wants us to have these experiences. He's a God of love. And like, I think really what it comes down to and what I'm focusing on right now is figuring out who is God. And then who do I want to be? If, if that's who my father is like, who are my heavenly parents? What's important to them? And like, how can I be, become more like them and more like my savior? 
talk about, I'm going to go back and even though listeners, we said this can be a shorter podcast, Camille gets my mind going and she's got so many insights. Um, go back to that conversation where, you know, you've got five kids, Wesley being one of them, four alive, if I've got it correct, and some, and you feel comfortable saying, yeah, we have five kids, we had a son die, Wesley. What would, what would you like that person? Get coach us on what you hope that person says or doesn't say as you've opened the door that you've had a kiddo die. Um, um, people always ask how, which is normal. If I'm going to open up the conversation and tell them, then it's natural human, like knee jerk reaction to ask how. So if I don't want to explain it, then I should probably not bring <laughs> up Wesley. Um, and I can, you know, say it, I don't have to give like the full story. I can just say he unfortunately choked. And then of course they're going to want to know on what. So I say on a bolt that was loose and fell out of his toddler bed, you know, and they say how horrible that is. And so sometimes I just like, you know, I don't want to get into that. So I don't bring him up, but, but I don't want, I don't want people to, and people honestly haven't, this has been so long since I've had these questions, but when it first happened, you know, people are in shock. So they ask questions like, was he in pain or how awful like was the trauma for both of us? That's really not necessary for anyone to ask that question. And then um, somebody asked me once, like, what was the last thing I said to him? As if somehow I knew he was going to die. And we had this like picture perfect movie moment at the end of his life, which wasn't the case. And um, oh, what else have people said that you don't want people to say? Uh, like when I got pregnant with my son after he was, after Wesley died, pe- one lady said, oh, it's like you're replacing your son with a new boy. Oh, mm. Not exactly. <laughs> mm. So yeah, there's people. And honestly, people don't always say the right things. I've had people come to me and apologize. Oh, I had a, a neighbor and a friend. She was telling me how she couldn't keep her cats alive, how they would like get into food they weren't supposed to have, or she had a few cats pass away. And she was so embarrassed. She reached out to me later and said, I am so sorry. That must've triggered you. I felt so bad when I said it. I, it was so thoughtless. I was talking about not keeping me cats alive and you've lost a son. And I, I didn't even think about it. It's been a few years now. Like you're definitely more sensitive when it's fresh. Um, but I think sometimes people are maybe overly worried that they're being offensive when they're not. So I don't want people to feel like they're walking on eggshells around me either, because then I can kind of sense that. And I don't want people to feel like, oh my gosh, what if I say the wrong thing? I'm going to be such a monster. Would would you like people that are just getting acquainted your family and say, tell me about Wesley? You had 100%. him for three and a half years. Tell me about his personality. Tell me, is that triggering and kind of bring up old when wounds we, or is that a conversation yeah. you'd like to have? I mean, for me, everyone's different. I wrote a book about him, so I'm really open about it. <laughs> um, you know, I've been open about it since day one. I mean, honestly, writing the song and singing at his funeral Nobody even expected me to get up at his funeral and do anything. But that sort of foreshadowing for Heavenly Father saying, hey, I'm going to ask you to do some hard things, but I need to put yourself out there and I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. And this is what we're going to do. And honestly, I feel like Wesley's part of that process too. Like we're working together. Um, He's on the other side. He helps people in deep grief. I'm on this side. I help people as a coach in deep grief. We work together. but yeah, I love it when people ask me about him. I had a friend when we moved here say, hey, I want to learn about your son, Wesley, because she has a daughter named Wesley. Wow. It's actually kind of like a, a name that uh, people are naming daughters. And so it's kind of fun to like hear the name more. It's getting a little more trendy. And um, I just, I love talking about him because he's really special. 
And we knew he was really special before he passed away. He was especially sweet. He was especially loving. Um, He had this really mature side of himself where he could have full-on conversations with adults and be interested in their lives as a three-year-old. So I love talking about him because he's pretty special. I love that. Listeners, um, I'm so grateful for Camille McConnell, M-C-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. And we'll link to her book in the show notes, her prior podcast, and any other link she emails me after we sign off that she'd like to have in the show notes. We'll add those. And um, I'm just so moved with your insights into the gospel and processing grief and your courage to talk about this. And Wesley, I have to wonder if you're aware this podcast is happening and maybe those morning impressions. I don't know if you were talking to people more in the morning. That's when I kept getting the impression to... (laughs) do this podcast and make sure we connect our listeners with your healing words. Um, Camille and same with you, Wesley, you're part of the healing and the understanding. Um, I also think the book's great for those of like me that just want to be better prepared to, to have better ministering skills for those experiencing grief. My natural reaction is not to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I might say some of those platitudes, I'm certainly I've said them in the past, well, Wesley's in a bigger place, better place, and that invalidates your pain, as you mentioned at the very beginning. So um, this is be a great book for a local leader, a parent, a ministering brother or sister to say, I need better tools in this space. It may be my space one day, but I certainly have people in my circle that I want to be more informed to say the right thing. And um, and honor my baptism covenants to bear more in comfort and just have more practical tools to do that and the confidence to do um, that in a better, more effective way. And Camille just does a great job of that. Anything you'd like to say in closing? Um, I just think we have access to um, a lot of, a lot of gifts that, you know, I know I'm not even asking enough. It says, ask and you shall receive. I think that we just need to get more comfortable asking. And it's okay to ask and ask and ask. It's kind of like after Wesley died, I felt like maybe am I overusing um, asking for help from the atonement to help me get through this day? Because it's just so heavy. I needed, I relied on Jesus so much. And I learned that you can't over ask for Jesus to help you. He died for us so that we would rely on him. He's aching for us to ask for help. He loves it. So I think we just need to become more of a culture of asking in faith, that humility, that vulnerability to share that with Heavenly Father and say, how can you bless me today? What, and we have to be specific though, and ask what specifically can I pray for today so that you can bless me? Like what gifts do you want me to ask for? What am I, what am I missing? What is something that I'm not asking for that you would want to give me? There's a talk by um, LDS historian, Kate Holbrook, who passed away, unfortunately from cancer, but she said, heavenly father is waiting for you to ask the right question. So he can give you the personal revelation he wants to give you. Wow. He is waiting for you to ask those questions. I think we need to get a little bit more creative um, and ask those questions. Like, what am I missing? What, what else is there for me that I'm not uh, having, you know, taking advantage of, uh, in humility, of course, I, you know, I used the word entitled and audacious, being audacious earlier, but I mean, we can do those things in humility. It's just that childlike trust. I think he wants of us saying, 
hey, if there's more for me, I want to have it. What is there? And being humble enough to ask. Love that. Um, Camille McDonald, so glad we had you on the podcast and Wesley here with us also. I'm so glad your book exists and your words and insights and music um, to help bring healing and hope in our community. Your work is really needed. Um, so listeners, this is Richard Osser and Camille McDon- McConnell signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.